Good morning, Christchurch. I trust that many of you are opening this and listening to it on Sunday morning, March 29th. It's good to be together through this medium. It's great sadness, of course, to not be together in gathered worship as we uh, have been accustomed to for so many years, unimpeded, un- uh, without any any type of obstacle to that other than those things that we find in our own hearts or the occasional sickness. Uh, but here we are, and our governor has said, stay home. Uh, and we want to be obedient to that. We want to be good citizens. Uh, we certainly are longing for, I know I personally am longing for the day that we can get together again and, and worship as a community perhaps more than I've ever longed for that. I really miss that and am looking forward to it. In fact, I spent some time just before recording this in the sanctuary, sitting in the seat that I always sit in up on your left in the front of the podium there and just thinking through where each one of you sits and praying for you and your families as many as the Lord brought to mind. Uh, So with that in mind, let's open God's Word for us. Uh, God's Word is is so central in this time. We, we need to sink our roots deep into the rich soil of God's Word and allow it to, to feed us as we walk through a time of uncertainty. And it, it's so poignant that the series that we're in right now, remember Luke is writing to Theophilus and he's saying, I'm writing these things so that you may be certain about who Jesus is, about what he came to do, and about the significance that it has for our lives. So as we pursue certainty in an uncertain time, what better thing can we do than to look at the life of Jesus? And today it's going to take shape for us in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31 and going on through verse 43. So that's Luke 18 beginning in 31 and going on through 43. Let me read it for us. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they, that is the disciples, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. So Jesus drew near to Jericho, and a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. The crowd told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him, the man, to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people 
when they saw it, gave praise to God. Father, as we come to this portion of your word, we do pray that you would meet us in our blindness and that you would help us to recover our own sight. You would open our eyes so that we might behold marvelous things in your holy word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a story in Luke chapter 18 about blindness. One of the reasons why we're reading both uh, the section 31 to 34, uh, Jesus is teaching about his death. If you have an ESV, it tells us that Jesus foretells his death for a third time, at least a third time, very explicitly anyway, foretells his death. Uh, While we've linked that with the story of the blind beggar, why Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts them together, it's this theme of blindness. Obviously, uh, the blind man, who one of the other synoptics names as Bartimaeus, uh, comes to the fore because he's blind and he's desperate and he wants to see Jesus and he wants Jesus to restore his sight. But beginning, or at least the beginning of the section we read, we see that the disciples are also blind. Uh, They also don't see, they don't grasp, and they need uh, the intervention of Jesus in order that they may see as well. And this is where we all connect. What we recognize in this story is that we are all desperate for Jesus to intervene in our life and in our circumstances, and we are all desperate for him to reach out and for him to heal us, uh, to save us. And I want to walk through that with you this morning because we certainly are feeling that, aren't we? We're feeling that in this time of coronavirus. We're, we're feeling this in the quarantine. I, I'm feeling my own weakness more and more. Uh, every day. I can't go the places that I would normally go. I just don't have the freedom to. I don't have the ability to. Uh, I I watch the the news and I can't control it. I can't control my stocks. I can't control uh, the spread of coronavirus in Spain or in Italy. I need Jesus. And so this passage invites us to a couple of things. The first thing that invites us to is to see that we are indeed blind. Uh, of course, as I've already mentioned, Bartimaeus is at the, at the front or the forefront of this passage in, in terms of his blindness. We come against him. Uh, Mark, I believe it is, that names him as Bartimaeus. Here, Luke just calls him a, a blind man. Matthew actually has two blind men begging. I don't think that there is a tension here. It's clearly the same It's clearly the same story. It may be that Mark uses the name because Bartimaeus was known, was either known then or became more prominently known later on. Uh, And there very well could be two people here. There probably are two people here. But Luke is drawing our attention to the one who is speaking and the one who is crying out, begging, as we see. But as I've already alluded to, Bartimaeus wasn't the only one who couldn't see. The disciples also couldn't see. You see that in verse 34. They understood none of what Jesus was telling them. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Uh, 
Moving back up to verse 31, notice what Jesus says even to introduce what he's about to say, saying, see, blepo, look, we are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. After flogging him, they will kill him. And the third day he rose again. Uh, The third day he will rise again. The disciples didn't understand. They didn't grasp what Jesus was saying. They were blind to the meaning. And part of it is because they were trying to see and trying to understand in their own human ability. Uh, and, and they were not able to grasp the deeper things uh, that God was telling them. God had been revealing to the people of Israel all along that he would come as a Messiah, that he would suffer, that he would die, and it was this that was then going to set his people free. But they weren't looking in this direction. They were looking in the direction of a political Messiah. They were looking in the direction of somebody who would come with strength and with might and with power and would cast out the Romans. But that's not the way Jesus came. And Jesus was telling them, he's like, this isn't how I came. In fact, six times in this passage, he he talks about his weakness. He's delivered over to the Gentiles, mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. Uh, After flogging him, they will kill him six times. Jesus emphasized that the way forward with the gospel, the way forward in the kingdom of God, is through suffering, is through being shamefully treated. It is this path that is marked with difficulty. And Jesus wants to remind not only his disciples, but he wants to remind all of the all of Israelites and all those who would be his disciples, namely me and you, that this is exactly the path of discipleship. And this is not something that we easily come by. And this is one of the reasons why we struggle in times like this to understand what Jesus is doing, because we think we can see. We think that the lives that we had before coronavirus came into our world, the freedom to go here, the freedom to go there, the promise of health, the promise of economic uh, well-being, we think that these are part and parcel with the Christian gospel. And one of the things that we're being challenged with right now is that the ways that we were seeing, the things that we thought we could see, may not be exactly what it is Jesus wants us to see. There is a path that may not always be an easy path, but it's a path to depth, a path to a deeper discipleship. And Jesus is inviting us onto that path. It's a very similar exchange to this in John chapter 9. This is in that famous story of uh, where he healed the man who was born blind. And toward the end of that story, he, he makes some comments that the Pharisees oversee. Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And the Pharisees close by heard him say these things, and they said to him, Are you saying that we're blind? Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, our guilt remains. 
What Jesus is inviting us to here is to recognize that unless he reveals truth to us, we are blind. Do not rely on our own intelligence. Do not rely on our own ability to make sense of the world. But to come to Jesus in desperation and to cry out to him for him to intervene. One of the, the uh, one of the commentators puts it this way. He says, in Luke's theology, what is really going on in Jesus' death and resurrection cannot be grasped by human intelligence, but can only be, but it only comes by means of revelation. Do you recognize your blindness? This is the first question that comes to us in this teaching. The second thing that we see, though, is that uh, when we are blind, when we, we lose a sense, there is the possibility that our other senses become heightened. This is one of the reasons why I believe that, that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put these two stories together. Because it's the blind man who actually sees who Jesus is. It's the blind man who recognizes that Jesus is the son of David, as he says two times in verse 38 uh, and then again in verse 39. He is crying out to the one that he recognizes as the Messiah, even if the disciples and the rest of the Israelites don't understand who Jesus is. How is it that he hears? Well, notice his other senses. When I was studying this, I put all of the words that had to do with Jesus's seeing and the ability to see in red, and then other sensory words, other actions in blue. And what you saw was uh, right in the middle here, the, this man, Bartimaeus, as he's named for us, this beggar, uh, he listens he inquires, he asks for help. He has a developed sense of other senses that allow him to approach Jesus and to make his requests that Jesus will eventually grant, as we'll see in a minute. This man, he, he listens. Uh, we see that in verse 36. Hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. He spent his lifetime listening. He probably heard of this man, Jesus, and he was probably putting some pieces together. Remember Jesus' first sermon, uh, he said things like this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. This is back in Luke 4 when Jesus was preaching. And when John's disciples come after Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples, and say, are you the Messiah? Shall we look for another? He says, tell them what you see. The blind receive their sight. Now for the disciples, uh, the 12, this isn't even though they're seeing these things and experiencing this, even though they themselves have performed miracles, they are not hearing this in the same way or experiencing this in the same way because they themselves are not blind. But this man, when he hears about the blind receiving sight, he says, yes, that's what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for a deliverer. I've been waiting for a Messiah. And this allows him, his hearing, his putting this, uh, the pieces together allows him to recognize who is before them.
He cries out. You notice that uh, a number of times uh, he, he, he asks, he inquires, he, he cries out, he cries out all the more. Uh, he is one who is not afraid, lacking sight, to use his mouth to cry out and to ask, to beg God for help in this time. And I wonder sometimes in, in our own abilities, if we are, are too cute, if we're not desperate enough, because we have all of these other abilities that we don't cry out. This man is forced to use his mouth. He's forced to beg in a way that is so crucial and, and so important, as we'll see going on. He also is reliant upon others in the community. They're the ones that he's asking, who is it that's going by? He needs their eyes to see. Uh, he has to be brought before Jesus. Uh, Jesus commands him to be brought to him. And this too, though not a sense uh, in the strict sense of our, our five senses, but this is something that when we are deprived of a sense and when we find ourselves in need that we have to do a lot more. I was thinking about these things, especially in this corona time, as we've had lots of things taken away from us, our ability to go here and there, uh, our ability to feel secure about our own health and our own safety. All of these things have been taken away from us, our ability to gather for worship, hence the fact that we are in individual homes. But I wonder if there isn't the possibility that these deprivations can actually help us learn other sensory applications. I've been so encouraged uh, by the way you, Christ Church, uh, has responded to, to this crisis. No, we are not gathering weekly. But, but I have heard so many ways that, that Christ Church is reaching into one another's lives, cards and calls and grocery shopping and visiting, uh, bringing the bulletins to people who can't access things uh, over uh, the internet, just coming around. Uh, even the fact of our social distancing shows a care for one another and recognizing that we have to protect those who are most vulnerable in our congregation. We're using different senses, the time of quiet uh, that we have as we can't pursue. We were supposed to be on a vacation last week, a nationals basketball tournament. Uh, we spent all sorts of time, crowds of people watching games, and it was a loss not to be able to go to that and participate in it, but it also afforded a, a whole different time to to pray and to cry out to God and, and, and to uh, to meet him in a different way than we might have. The point here is, is that our deprivations need not prevent us. In fact, they may even uh, facilitate an approach to God in a way that we haven't experienced that before. There was a book uh, or a saying uh, that you may have heard, uh, don't waste your cancer. 
the idea that when when we are afflicted, that there are things there to learn, to grab onto. I, I don't say that tritely at all. Know that we have people going through cancer, and I certainly wouldn't say don't waste your corona uh, uh, tritely either. This is very, very serious. But recognizing that deprivation also can lead to a heightening of our other senses really encourages us uh, to continue to approach the Savior. And that is exactly what Bartimaeus does. He goes to Jesus, and this is the third thing that we see, is that we need Jesus to heal us. We need Jesus to make us well. We need Jesus to save us. Uh, just a couple of observations for you. One, Jesus is the one who has foretold. I've already alluded to that, the disciples' inability to read the scriptures. This is going to come up again in Luke chapter 24, uh, where Jesus meets the, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him. Again, the theme of seeing. They don't recognize him for who he is. And beginning with the law and the prophets, he he explains everything about who he was through the scriptures. And Jesus is emphasizing that here. Uh, the Son of Man, written about by the prophets, everything will be accomplished. We can have confidence as we pick up our scriptures. We can have confidence uh, that Jesus is the one who is the central point of all of it. And so as all of our world comes crashing down around us, we have confidence in the revealed word of God that Jesus is who he says he is, that him standing at the center point of this story is the rock indeed that we can go to and we can listen to and we can fall at his feet and we can beg for mercy. And that's exactly what this man does. I, I have an affection for this man. Uh, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 41. And the man is just very direct. I, I want to see. I, 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 he doesn't get cute. He doesn't say, well, Lord, if you're willing, all of these things. He just comes out with it. I want to see. He's very aware of his need. And he goes straight for that point. He says, I want to see. And Jesus says, uh, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Uh, Jesus meets him in his place of deepest need. And Jesus will meet us in our place of deepest need as well. Now, in this case, and we've mentioned this throughout, Jesus encounters a lot of sick people over the course of his ministry on earth. And uh, in, that, in, in the course of that ministry, he heals many of them, but he doesn't heal all of them right then, right now. He does heal this man, but again, it's, it's almost like he's acting out a parable for us. This really happened but it is a parable about sight. And even when he says, your faith has made you well, that, that term there, well, is, the, is the, uh, from the Greek word sozo, which means to save. And it's the term that we have for salvation. And, and what he's saying to us is that he is meeting us at our place of deepest need. 
and he is going to save us holistically. Sometimes that means he'll heal us from our cancer in the here and now, or he'll uh, restore our sight, or he will allow us to walk. But what he is really interested in is healing all the way down through. And, and at one time, uh, in the near future, all that is broken about this world will be made right again, will be made whole. How can Jesus say this? Because he knows who he is. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He knows that he is going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. He knows that he will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon. He knows that he will endure floggings, and he knows that they will kill him. But he also knows that on the third day, he will rise again with healing in his wings. That on the third day, he will come out of the tomb, having broken the bonds of death, and he reigns now at the right hand of God the Father. One writer put it this way. He said, in his death, Jesus will take on himself the blindness and the despair of the world. Uh, he will take on the blindness and the despair of the world. There's so much that we still don't understand, so much in the world and indeed in Scripture that remains hidden from us. Uh, as Jesus' words were to his disciples at that time, there is so much that if understood fully might make us turn back and no longer wish to follow Jesus on the road. But Luke is telling us that if we go with him, Jesus will take the full weight of the evil on himself, indeed that he's already done so on the cross, so that the things we still face need hold no terrors for us. What a word this is that the things that we face now need to hold no terrors for us because Jesus has taken all of it, our blindness, our despair, our coronavirus, the loss, the economic impacts, he's taken all of that in himself on the cross and he is giving us a healing. And he invites us to put our faith there, not our works, not our actions, but he's inviting us to come and surrender. That's what faith is. It's going to Jesus like this beggar and crying out, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. What do you want? I want to see. I want to see you for who you are. I want to understand and I want to trust can you help me in that? And Jesus says, absolutely. And then I want to notice one last thing with you, the response both of this man and of the crowds. Immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Two things about that. Uh, one, uh, just the overarching theme of worship. Whenever we encounter God, worship is the thing that is called from us. In this place, it's, it's the worship of praise. You know, Jesus met him. He healed him. The people saw the power, and they worshiped. If you were with me on Thursday afternoon, you'll, you'll note that I referenced uh, Job chapter 1. 
Here, Job in verse 20 uh, experiences the devastation and the loss. At this point uh, in the story of Job, he has not yet received any restitution and everything is very unknown for him. It's very deep. It's very grievous. It's where you may find yourself today. But Job rose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and he worshiped. That's verse chapter 1, verse 20 of Job. It's amazing that when God meets us and heals us, when God, uh, when devastation comes into our lives for disciples, the response is worship. And sometimes worship looks like a shaved head, no reference to current state here, uh, torn robes, uh, and falling prostrate on the ground. Uh, Sometimes worship looks like uh, glorifying God uh, and giving praise to him and lifting holy hands. Um, The second thing just to note about this is that this man, uh, the crowds, Jesus himself, always are pointing the attention to God because God and, and, and what he is doing in the world is truly our only hope. And I know that that's true for me today, and I know that that's true for you today as well. So wherever you find yourself, those of you tuning in, Christ Church friends, uh, believers, uh, those who are following Jesus as disciples, and those who are not, my prayer is that you will find the goodness of Christ Uh, here and that you would be drawn to it, that you would be drawn to this one who has the ability to make you well. Go now in that hope and in that peace. Amen.